Hello, welcome. My name's Cy Huffer, and I get to preach the sermon today for us as a church family. Uh, if you're new, welcome. It's great to have you in person and online. It's great to have you all um, hanging out with us today. There's no, uh, if you're new, there's no reason to be nervous or intimidated by our church family. We're pretty ordinary, broken, imperfect people. And we really have these two things in common. It's why we come together every single week. The first one is this. We keep making stupid decisions that hurt ourselves and those around us right? <laughs> like we do. We just keep doing that over and over and over again. And the second reason we come together is this. Um, we need to be reminded each week of how our God, our Heavenly Father is perfect and loving and has forgiven us and guides us to life to the full. Like we, should, like we, we keep messing up and we need to be reminded every single week of how good our God is and how much he loves us. And that's why we gather in homes. It's why we gather here in person. Um, it's why we gather during the week in small groups. And we, it's why we read the Bible. It's why we pray. It's why we love other people. It's because we've been loved by God so much that that overflows into uh, loving other people in our community and those that we work with and those we live next to. It's why we follow Jesus. It's why we're being changed by him. And it's why we are on mission with him. And it comes back to this one simple truth. That the God of the universe, he loves us. And he rescues us from ourselves. And it's out of this mind-defying love that we are moved to show love to others. But the problem that we keep coming back to is this. We have short memories. And we just forget as we live life and we get into kind of the, the, the grind of life, we forget what God has done for us and that he does lead us into life everlasting, into the full life now we have we have we have so we have such short memories i mean isn't this so true like guys if you're a husband if you're a father i just want to speak to you for a moment there's five dates you got to remember these five dates they don't they come every year okay okay i'm putting them on the screen for you just take a picture of this if no one's done this yet i want to help you today here are the five dates her birthday your anniversary Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and Christmas. They happen every year, okay? So just take a picture, write those things down, have it repeat every year on your phone or on your calendar, just write them out. Every year, for like the first five years of our marriage, I just kept totally missing this. And then there was like a year, uh, <laughs> it was on his Mother's Day, <laughs> And we were here at church and uh, we did like a Mother's Day thing and I was like, oh yeah, that's today. Mother's Day is today. And so on the way home, I stopped by a gas station and I got her favorite chip, Cheez-Its. I'm like, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> that did not go well. We have short memories, don't we? Uh, we have short memories in, in our families, in our marriage. Uh, we also have short memories like as, as a nation, in, in our history. It's crazy to think that we're in the middle of a pandemic still. I, hopefully we're kind of starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And we have used the words like unprecedented and, and uncharted territory. Yet not, like, yet 100 years ago in 1918, there was another pandemic called the Spanish flu. And I don't know if you saw this picture. It floated around social media. Um, I don't know if you saw it or not. But here's from the Spanish flu in 1918. And there's literally, the, the person's wearing a sign that says, wear a mask or go to jail. It's like, jeez. 
um, that there are masks, like people fell on both sides of the mask controversy then. That was 100 years ago. My great granddad was 17 when this happened. I knew him, like I was around him. He never told me stories about this and somehow we forgot in two, three generations that this was a thing and that pandemics happen and we have short memories and we say unprecedented, uncharted territory, but really we've been here before. It's also true when it comes to facing freemen, facing freedom, the series that we're in, facing the obstacles that keep us from finding freedom out of our captivity. Our debt has trapped us. You were not the first to find freedom from debt. Our addictions have enslaved us. We're not the first to have the chains of addiction broken. Our shame and insecurities have crushed us. Yet we're not, it's, not, it's not the first time, nor will it be the last time that we have confronted the lies of shame with the truth from our Heavenly Father. You see, we have such short memories when it comes to our captivity. The same is true for the main character in this journey that we're studying in the book of Exodus all the way up to Easter. His name's Moses, and he has a short memory. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, Moses' story actually doesn't begin with Moses. It begins with his mom. And Moses' mom, uh, she got pregnant at a really inopportune time to get pregnant. Pharaoh, who was the ruler over the nation of Egypt, he was the ruler over the nation uh, of, of the people called the Israelites. They were his slaves, his workforce that he was reigning over and they were growing and, and, and were having more and more babies and were, having, and, and were just multiplying like crazy and, and he became intimidated by their sheer size because like, they could turn around and destroy us just like that and it was in this kind of fear that he ordered that all the males that were born to one of these slaves would be killed in the middle of this captivity in, in the middle of this genocide Moses' mom becomes pregnant with him. And when he's born, she finds out he's a boy and the world just collapses around her. There's no way out. I mean, she's a slave to the most powerful king in the world at that time and just had a son who was born with a death warrant on his head and there was nothing she could do about it. You see, in captivity, every, every kind of captivity, one thing has to be true for you to be truly in captivity. You have to be living in a state of weakness. It must be present. Moses' mom was weak. She was a slave, helpless against her oppressor. She was the mother of a Hebrew son, helpless against the law that condemned him. Weakness is expected in captivity. And the greater the captivity, get this, the greater the captivity, the greater the weakness. So how do you find freedom in your captivity? when you feel so weak. Look what Moses' mom does. Exodus chapter two, verses three and four. It says this, when she could hide Moses no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Friends, this is kind of crazy. I just saw like a family coming with a newborn baby and I was thinking about this sermon and I'm like, this is what the mom did. It's like, you know what we're gonna do? Let's put Moses, the baby, my baby son, put him in a basket and just kind of push him down the Nile. This is, this is crazy. 
A mom who's totally weak and helpless in her captivity takes her son, she puts him in a basket and puts it down a river knowing that it's going to go to Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, who always bathes in that Nile at that time of the day. She kind of was expecting that to happen and was hoping that something good would happen to her little boy. This is so crazy. Unless you know this one tiny little detail. And it's the Hebrew word for basket. It's the Hebrew word um, tiva. Can you say tiva? Tiva. This isn't any old word for basket. It's the same word that's translated ark. Ark. You know that? Do you know the story of Noah and the ark? Where, where God is gonna destroy all mankind because our sin just grew so great and yet there's this one family, Noah and his family, that, he, that was righteous and he was gonna save and protect from this flood. And so Noah, he tells Noah to, to build a teva, to build an ark. And Noah and his family and two of every kind of animal come onto the ark and are saved in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the judgment. That story is part of Moses' mom's story. It's part of the, the origin story of the nation of Israel. Like they trace their origins back to Noah. And those three sons that come off the ark, who has a son who has a son named Abraham, who has the son who has a son who has these 12 tribes that they become the nation of Israel. Like that's her origin story. And she knew this story. Remember that this God, this Yahweh God, this, this, this God that they have become to believe in and trust in, that they believe that she knows he's the one who has been faithful and true and told us that he's gonna bless all nations through us. So she takes her baby son and she puts him in an ark, trusting the God of the last ark to do something new again with this ark. It was placing her trust and confidence in God, the God of her people, So she sent him down the Nile, had her daughter watch, and she released and relinquished all control over her rescue to God. She surrendered her weakness to God. Here's here's what Moses' mom knew. Uh, When we are weak, we must surrender. Now friends, this sounds so counterintuitive. Because this is not just surrendering. I don't want you, when you hear the word surrender, think of a white flag as someone who's just giving up. Okay, he's like, well, I can't do anything. I'm just gonna give up. That's not what I'm meaning by surrender. The important thing with surrender is who are you surrendering to? You see, Moses' mom knew she was weak, that she could do nothing, nothing to overcome her state of weakness. And so she surrendered to the God who she believed could do something. She surrendered to somebody that she trusted that was good and all-powerful and all-knowing and full of wisdom and truth. She said, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna surrender my control, but I'm gonna relinquish it. What I thought I had control over, which I really didn't, the facade of control, can I get a whole, yeah, on that, right? And I'm gonna surrender to, the, to God who I know and believe and trust is in control. Yet we have such short Memories. Because here's what happens Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the Nile. 
she sees Moses and rescues him out of the water and defies the order that all Hebrews uh, boys be killed. And she raised Moses as her own. And what's fascinating is this, that uh, Moses' sister comes up to her and says, hey, do you want uh, like a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? She's like, that's a great idea. And so Moses' mom, who relinquished all of the control and surrendered her son t- to God, gets him back and gets to nurse him under the protection of the household of Pharaoh who's trying to commit genocide against her people. Like, think about that as a twist in the story. She was weak and surrendered to God, her weakness, and he rescues her beyond her expectations. Yet we have short memories, especially Moses. Like, this is Moses' birth story, and he just kind of forgets about this powerful God. See, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's court. He's given all the, the best education he can get as being a, kind of an adopted son of the king of Egypt, And then one day he goes out and he's trying to, I think, find freedom for his people in captivity. And this is what happens. Look at verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. My guess is that this was not the first time he saw this happen. It was probably a regular occurrence. Yet each time, it was a reminder that his people, they're slaves. And that he, ultimately, even though he was adopted son of the king of Egypt, he, he, was, he came from that stock of oppression and slavery. And that his people were weak and his oppressors were strong and they were in captivity. So what did Moses do? In weakness you surrender God, right? The situation, right? That's, that's the lesson he learned from his mom about his own birth. It's not what happens. Look at what, look what Moses does in verse 12. Looking this way... And that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He looked this way, looked that, took matters into his own hands. Author Henry Cloud, he's a psychologist, he calls this reaction an example of the fight or flight response to danger. So there are basically two parts of your brain, and, and I am not a brain surgeon, okay? So, I'm going to do my best here, okay? But there's the upper part and the lower part of your brain. The upper brain has to do with what Cloud calls our executive functions. It deals with logic and judgment, creativity, problem solving. We think out of the upper part of our brain, but then there's the lower part of our brain. This is where our animalistic survival instincts come into play. We either fight or flight and we operate out of the lower brain. It's for survival. It's, it's action-oriented. And that's not always bad. Like, if you're walking down range line in Joplin, and a lion starts to come to attack you, as happens often on range line in Joplin, right? Okay, and if you have this, like, fierce animal coming against you, you want to act out of your lower brain. You need to either fight or flight, And I would encourage flight, okay? Um, But when that's happening, it's not a time to think out of your higher brain through a pros and cons list. Like, right, that's not the right time. It's not like, hmm, he's approaching faster. Let me pull out my sheet of paper. Pro, con. Like, there's times in life where you don't need to be thinking out of your, your higher brain. You need to be actually acting out of your lower brain, out of instinct. The problem is, though, when we allow the lower brain to take over when it shouldn't. 
This is when Satan comes in and uses our fleshly instincts in the wrong situation to create more harm than good. This is what happens when we view weakness. When we view weakness as a threat, as dangerous to the full life now. When we do that, we typically respond with fight or flight when it comes to our captivity. So Moses did. First, he fought. Look this way and that, and he killed the Egyptian. Then flight, look at verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. This is not how you find freedom from sin and the brokenness of our lives. Because even though Moses escapes death, guess what? His people are still in captivity. When he killed the Egyptian, guess what? His people were still in captivity. The enslavement of sin will not be defeated through fight or flight. These are reactions out of our flesh that create more captivity for ourselves and those around us. When we try to overcome weakness with power, it means someone else moves from power to weakness and thus captivity changes from one group to the next. When we try to overcome weakness with flight, we brush it under the rug and the peace we experience is simply a facade There's no peace, no heaven on earth, just sidestepping the issue. It reminds me of this uh, finger trap. Can I tell you that it was nearly impossible to find this in Joplin yesterday? I called Dollar Tree, Hobby Lobby, Walmart, everywhere I could find it. The only place I could find one, just so you know, there's only five left, is at Laser Force. In Joplin, okay? That made me play skeet ball in order to get enough tickets to get it, okay? So, so um, it's a finger trap. The way finger trap works is when you put, you know, it, the, the fingers go in easily, but then when you try and pull them out, it, 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 it keeps you trapped and you can't get out. And this is, this is what sin does, Like our sin in the garden was all about, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was all about two things. Two things. (laughs) Self-promotion and self-preservation. Like I want to preserve my life. I want to live life eternal. That was the the, the deception from, from the Satan, the serpent, right? Don't you want to live forever? It's a tree of life. You can have access to eternal life. And and, and then it was also self-promotion. Don't you want to be like God? Knowing good and evil, promoting yourself. And that's what happens is when we're deceived that the full life, the life to the full is self-promotion and self-preservation. And when we pursue that as the ultimate ends to life, the greatest enemy of those two is any appearance of weakness. Because if we're weak, well, we can't make sure we preserve our life. And if we're weak, we can't promote ourselves and take care of ourselves. And so weakness results in us fighting or flighting, right? Fight or flight. Because it's coming against what we think is the path to life to the full. But self-preservation and self-promotion has never led to life to the full this side of heaven. It hasn't. It leads to fighting with others, fighting with God, fighting with ourselves, and fleeing from true, authentic relationship. And we do this. We, we fight and we flight every time weakness comes in and seems to erode our self-preservation and self-promotion. And we say things like, well, I'm just taking after, I'm just looking after number one. I'm just, I'm just gonna enjoy some self-care because I need to, no one else will do that but me, right? 
I'm gonna get mine. And anytime we feel any ounce of weakness, what happens is a cycle continues. We fight and try to self-promote and it works out poorly and we end up even deeper into captivity. And we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You see, we have to, in, facing, in finding freedom, you have to recognize that weakness is not something that you have to, uh, it's not like something that you uh, find. You're like, oh, now I'm weak. No, no, weakness, you, you are already weak when it comes to sin. The facade is that you're not weak. So when you discover that you're actually weak when it comes to your overcoming of sin, your addiction to self-promotion, self-preservation, it's when you surrender that, you're able to stop fighting or fleeing and you're able to find freedom because you're able to get rid of the facade and acknowledge, no, 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 I need help. See, the answer was from his past, his own story. When we are weak, we surrender. And knowing that you're weak is actually a gift. Because the issue with surrendering is that surrendering feels weak, doesn't it? So when we hear the word surrender, we think if someone waving that white flag, we equate it to giving up. We don't get out of our captivity by giving up. We, we, we don't get out of the finger trap by giving up, right? No, we get out of it by surrendering to a God who helps us overcome this deception that self-preservation, self-promotion leads to life to the full, to the full life now. It's interesting, there's a, 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 a another psychologist named Roy Baumeister. And he studied the limits of willpower. And one of his key questions was this, once you exercise your own willpower to overcome, because that's part of like our, our, our dictation as Americans and as, as people, isn't it? Is that we can, well, yeah, I, I know self-preservation, self-promotion is the problem. Fine, I get that, I'm trapped. But I can, I can overcome this myself. Like I can deny my own desires myself. I have, I can, I'm just gonna grip my teeth, put myself up by my own bootstraps, and I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna exert my will over my will. <laughs> and what Roy asked was this, when you exert your willpower, does, does, what happens to your willpower? Does it, does it grow stronger? Or do you exhaust like a tank of energy of willpower in your life? So what they did was, they, had, uh, they did an experiment. They had people that gave them warm, hot, gooey chocolate chip cookies. Anybody else mad at me right now? You're like, come on, I didn't eat breakfast, I'm hungry. So they gave them all these warm, you know, picture the cookies, close your eyes, right? Um, and they said, okay, here are all these cookies, you can't eat any cookies, all you can eat are these radishes. Thanks, right? And they, and they said, and they, and they gave them a time limit to do that, like for 20 minutes, you can't eat the cookies, you eat the radishes. And then they, that group of people, they didn't give them a mathematical problem to solve. Okay, and then they had another group of people. They didn't. Ha- they they just got to eat the cookies. They didn't have the radish situation. They got eat the cookies, and then they got to solve the mathematical problem. Now, here's the trick: the mathematical problem was impossible to solve. They just wanted to see which group would give up first. And by far, the group that had exerted all their willpower in refusing to eat the cookies gave up way before the other group. And over and over again, they discovered that you exerting your own willpower, there's a bank that you have. There's a tank of willpower energy. And that if you exert it, you exhaust it, you don't have enough 
to keep going. And yet they found out there was this one thing that refuels your tank. It's the word surrender. It's saying, I've been trying to exert myself over this self-preservation, self-promotion. I'm done. I'm surrendering to you, God. And that doesn't take willpower. That takes acknowledging your weakness. And that's why I think it's so beautiful that Jesus says, come follow me. He's not saying come exert your willpower over your own sin. Come follow me. I will lead you and guide you to life to the full. Surrender your idea of the, full, of, of the path to full life and trust me. He leads, we follow. Yet yeah, we have such short memories. Look at how the chapter ends in verses 23 to 25. During this long period, this long period is when Moses is in basically exile in Midian. The king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So this is what God was doing in the midst of their captivity. And it's what he's doing in the midst of our captivity. He is waiting for us to ask for help. So he's a gentleman. God's not gonna force himself upon you. He will wait for the moment that you and I, in our captivity, face the reality of our weakness, that we do not have any power to overcome this tendency towards self-preservation and self-promotion and choose to surrender to his leading for help. Then, only then will he respond to our cries for help and provide a way out of captivity. The question is, are we ready to face our weakness yet? So here's my challenge to you today. I know we're digital people, but I want you to do this today. Find a pen, you know, that has ink, it writes. Find a pen, piece of paper, and I want you today to write down how you are weak when it comes to facing your sin. When it comes to overcoming the captivity of, that is keeping you enslaved in your life, to whatever it is, to that relationship, to that addiction, to that issue, to that idea of who you think you are, to the shame, Write down your weakness, confess it to God, and then pray this prayer, Lord, I need help. John Newton was a, a captain of an of a African slave ship during the, um, the transatlantic Atlantic, uh, African slave trade in the 18th century. And uh, John Newton uh, he was like most captains of slave ships. He had many vices. He would curse and drink, and he had a woman in every port. And one of the other things that he did was when he would be on his slave trip going back and forth across the Atlantic Ocean, he would get drunk, and he would take an African woman, and he would do whatever he wanted. Until one day, there was a Christian that was on board his ship that he was transporting from one continent to the next who shared with him the gospel that this life you're living, like I know you got slaves in your ship, but you're the one who's captive to sin. And John Newton gave his life to Jesus that day. 
and he started giving up all of his vices. And yet one day they were in the midst of a big storm and the stress came back and the worry and the fear and he resorted back to his old ways. The bottle, the woman. And after that he realized that he was just completely trapped and enslaved to this fleshly desires that he he couldn't overcome himself. He realized this, I'm weak. He picked up a pen and he took a piece of paper and he wrote these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. One of the other verses that we don't know as well, I think really applies to today, says this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will do what? Will lead me home. Friends, I don't know what, what, what has enslaved you what you feel chained to or chained by or crushed. But I guarantee you that in your captivity, you probably feel weak. And maybe you didn't realize you were captive to something and now today you're like, no, I am. And, and you feel like you have no power to overcome it. I wanna say what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Congratulations. Blessed are you. When you're poor in spirit, when you got nothing left, because then, then you will cry out for help and inherit the kingdom of God. And if you need help today, if you need to talk to somebody today, we're gonna have our elders and our ministers and our volunteers on these two platforms. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you about this Jesus. But everybody else, I'm gonna have everybody stand up right now and we're gonna lead you through a song and a prayer to pray, where you basically, we're gonna ask you to cry out for help, cry out of your weakness, and surrender to God who loves you.